This week we'll be starting a new series that we're going to call Unsung Heroes. In this series we're going to talk or be taking a look at some of the characters of the Bible that do some, some pretty awesome things, but it's quite probable that none of us are really that familiar with them. Maybe they interact with one of the big figures in the Bible like Jesus or Moses or David or, or someone we know more about. Maybe they are like a sidebar of a bigger story and so we don't pay as much attention to who they are or what they've done. There are many of these characters in the Bible and this series could go on for like a real long time, but instead of hitting all of the unsung heroes at once, we're going to break it up. We'll be looking at a few of them until we get to the Christmas season and then we'll be taking a break until about Easter. I'm very much looking forward to this series and, and I trust and pray that it will be a blessing to all of us. Today we start off with a woman by the name of Abigail. Some of us may be familiar with her, but for those of us who are not, her story takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Her name is mentioned in other areas as well, mainly because of her relationship with one particular figure in the Bible, but we get her introduction and the lessons she has to teach us here in 1 Samuel 25. Now, we are not going to read all 44 verses of the text, so let me catch you up on the context of what is happening here. The story takes place when David, the man who would one day be king, is running from Saul, the current king of Israel. In chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, the chapter right before this, we find Saul confessing that he knows David will be the king one day and asking David to promise that he won't wipe out Saul's family when that time comes. David promises to show mercy, and so Saul and his army return home. So David isn't being pursued by Saul anymore. He's not being chased by the armies of Saul at this point in time. And his, him and his 600 men, they head out into the wilderness. And they happen upon some shepherds in the service of a man named Nabal. Now Nabal is a very rich man. He has 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep. The shepherds are a little nervous because David has a fighting force and could easily take what he wished from Nabal's livestock. Instead, David and his men help the shepherds. They stand watch and, and protect the sheep from would-be thieves and from the wild animals that would love to sink their teeth into a nice mutton chop. David and his men are so thorough in their protection of the flocks that not a single sheep goes missing under their care. Eventually, the time comes for the shepherds to bring their flocks back to Nabal's lands in Carmel for the shearing process. David finds out that this time has come, and so he sends ten young men to Nabal and saying, Hey, hey, you know, may you, may you live long and prosper. We're from David, and, and we helped your shepherds when your sheep were fattening up in the wilderness. You can ask them. The whole time that they were with us, they didn't lose a single one. Being as this is a time of festivities, would you please give to us, your servants your son and your son David, whatever you can find for us? Some extra food, some wine you've got laying around. Anything would be great. Thank you. And how does the incredibly wealthy Nabal respond? Who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? People are leaving their masters all over the place these days. Why should I give my bread and water and the meat that I have slaughtered and give it to men coming from who knows where, serving who knows whom? 
He obviously knows who David is. We see that in the son of Jesse remarks. So his question is more of a, who does this David think he is? Remark or question. Who does he think he is to make these demands of me? David left his master, the king. Why should I give him anything? So David's men return to David empty-handed and give David the news. And how do you think David responded? Nabal had just violated every written and unwritten rule of ancient Middle Eastern hospitality. David is furious. And so he calls his men to grab their swords, and he took 400 of his fighting men to go and deal with this man, Nabal. At this point in the story, we meet our heroine, Abigail. The Bible tells us that she is smart and beautiful, and that she had the unfortunate privilege of being Nabal's wife. One of Nabal's men heard the exchange between Nabal and David's men, and he went, or he knew this could only mean bad news for them, so he ran to tell Abigail. Abigail grasped their danger immediately and springs to action. She tells her servants to gather 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, 500 dressed, or five, sorry, five dressed sheep, a bunch of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs. And they load all of this onto some donkeys, and then Abigail sends them on ahead of her so they could reach David before he does anything rash. She prepares herself, and then she follows. I can't imagine that riding a donkey was her favorite pastime, and I would further speculate that riding a donkey through the wilderness and into almost certain doom was not a very pleasant experience. And then there he is. Abigail sees David and his men, or his armed men, descending the hill in front of her as she awaits at the bottom. She hears David ranting in anger about how he had gone to great lengths to do a solid for Nabal, and now he has paid back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, she hears, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belonged to him. And as those words ring out into the valley, Abigail confronts David. She quickly gets off her donkey and she goes and bows before the young, angry invader. And then Abigail breaks into a speech. It's a fantastic speech. And it's the central point of the whole chapter. And we find it in 1 Samuel 25, verses 24 through 31. Her speech and then David's response are our text this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to turn to 1 Samuel 25. And we'll be reading verses 24 through 35. If you do not have your Bibles with you, that's totally cool as the words will be up on the screen behind me. Now, just as a point of clarification, there are a lot of areas in this speech where she is going to refer to David as my Lord. The reason for this is to show his superiority. She's, she's being submissive. She recognizes he's in a place of power and she's trying to talk to him from a deferential stance. So continually throughout her speech, she references David as my Lord. Uh, to help clear things up with the reading, to make it a little easier to, to grasp and understand what's going on. I mean, this is how they talked back then. It's not really how we talk so much now. So I just kind of did a little bit of, of tweaking with it, uh, where I'm, I'm just going to read I or me or like personal references, where she says your servant, and, and where she says David, or I'm going to say David, where she says my Lord. 
all right? So if you see, like when you're reading up here, if there's like quotations, if there's brackets and it says David, that's where she says my Lord. And if it's brackets and it's a reference to herself, I, me, something about her, she's saying your servant there. But it just gets really confusing if there's a bunch of your servants and my lords and then also references to the Lord. So it just, it gets a little crazy. So I edited it a little bit. It's not doctrinal. It's just easier reading, all right? So we're there. With that said, let's read the word of the Lord this morning. 1 Samuel 25, verses 28 through 35. 24 through 35. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon me, David, and let me speak to you. Hear what I have to say. Please pay no attention, David, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men you sent. And now, David, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming you be like Nabal. And let this gift that I, your servant, have brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive my presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for you. Because you fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of David will be bound securely to the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies you will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for you every good thing he promised concerning you, and has appointed you ruler over Israel, you will not have on your conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged yourself. And when the Lord your God has brought you success, remember me. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day, from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Thus ends the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. We don't always get to choose the circumstances of our lives. None of us had any power over the family that we were born into. Some of us have genetic situations like diabetes or other sicknesses or illnesses. Maybe we were born with a learning disability. Some of us are in positions where we are the care provider for a loved one. They, they no longer or maybe never did have the ability to take care of themselves, and so now their care is a necessary part of our lives. Some of us have had tragedy strike. Maybe something in our bodies broke and we're in the process of recovery Maybe recovery isn't looking so good. There are many circumstances in life that are outside of our control. Things that we can't do anything about but just have to deal with. Some of those circumstances are great. Some of them are difficult. I would imagine that it was pretty difficult for Abigail in our text this morning. In our society here in the States, we typically get to choose who we're going to be married to. 
That's normally how it works for us here. But that is not how it worked for Abigail. In her culture, weddings were arranged. Daughters were almost used as favors or finances. A few months ago, we were looking at Joseph's story, and we saw that his dad purchased the right to marry his mother after working for his future father-in-law for seven years. And it's not like his mother had anything to say about it. So here is a beautiful and smart woman, Abigail, and she's married to a man called Nabal. We read in her speech to David, Nabal means fool. Now, commentaries that I read said that it is highly unlikely that Nabal was his given name. Parents, you know, we may tease and mess around with our kids on occasion, but it would have been incredibly unlikely that they would have named their son Fool. It's much more likely that Fool was a nickname, but the name that he was known for. So it's not like Abigail got to choose her life partner. She would have been given to Nabal in marriage. And these were life circumstances that she just had the privilege of living with. This was a frustration, a struggle that was just a part of her day today. It would surprise me if this was the first jam she'd gotten her husband out of. Again, the dude was known around town as the fool. Trouble must have been knocking on his door on the regular. And we see the future proof of this when the servant runs to tell her how the fool had just insulted one of the, one of the most powerful <laughs> warlords in the region. Typically, servants aren't going to go to the wife for help. But this one knew Abigail would be able to come up with a plan to stop the bloodshed that was sure to be coming. And what's more, the Bible tells us that immediately she threw a plan into action. She is wise and smart and knows exactly what has to take place so that her family and her house may be saved. And what's more, we see that her intervention, her interceding with David on behalf of her husband was actually a blessing to David as well. In his response to Abigail, we read these words, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. David wasn't some bloodthirsty killer. He was on his way to avenge an insult, to protect his honor, but he thanks Abigail for stopping him from shedding blood. Killing isn't something that excites him. This isn't what he wants to do. And her wise words, her intercession, appeases his wrath. I have heard your words and granted your request, he said, and left her in peace. Does this story remind you of a different, yet similarly incredible story? I can't read the story of David and Abigail and Nabal and not be reminded of the story of our relationship. With God. And I know that typically we like to think of ourselves, to see ourselves in the shoes of the hero in the story. We want to be Abigail or, or David, but truly we are Nabal, the fool. We have been living our lives, and God, like David, has come alongside us and blessed us. Just as David blessed Nabal in the wilderness by taking care of his sheep and protecting his flock, so God has taken care of us. He he sent his son to die for us. He has forgiven us. Just as he led his people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery to freedom, so he has given us freedom from the sin that enslaves us. All that we truly need has been given to us. And yet when he comes and says, hey, look at all that I have done for you. 
can you do something for me? Can you have no idols in front of me, nothing before me in your life? Can you make me the first thing in your life? I've done so much for you. Please, would you have no other gods before me? Would you not make or take my name in vain? Would you find time to rest in the relationship that we have together that we might grow closer? Would you do this for me? After all that I have done for you, this is what I demand. This is what I want. This is what I deserve. This is what I expect. And how do we respond? How do we respond when God asks us to put Him first in our lives? How do we respond when God asks us to respect Him and to guard our time with Him? Do we do all of that perfectly? Do we even do it well? I know I don't. Not always. Not in the ways that I know that I should. I don't always put God above the things that I want. I don't always respect Him like I should. I don't always guard my time with Him, my time for rest in Him. I'm way better at doing what I want, what makes me happy, what makes me feel good. Somehow it is easier for me to binge an entire series on Netflix than it is to sit down and do my daily devotions. Somehow it is harder to turn my heart towards the one that has given me life, given me faith, the one on whom all of my hope is built. It's harder for me to turn my heart towards him than it is to indulge in the things that I like to do. It's easier to put my hobbies, my kids, my wife, before my relationship with God. And that's not okay. But there are times that it's what I find myself doing because I'm a fool. I'm a sinful fool. And how are you doing with that? Anyone else struggle to put God first in all things? How thankful this fool is for Abigail, or in our case, for Jesus. For just as Abigail saw the wrath coming, so Christ sees the wrath coming. And just as Abigail interceded for her husband, so Christ intercedes for his bride. Church, we are the bride of Christ. And he is always interceding for us before God. We do not keep God's laws perfectly. And so Christ's intercession is necessary. Ultimately, he interceded for us on the cross. From the cross, he took all of the sin that has so deeply offended God. He took all of that upon himself. He became sin for us on the cross. All the sin that we have ever done, all the sin that we will ever do was on him. And there on the cross, Jesus died for it. There on the cross, he paid the price for it. The price that we could not. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And by his rising, sin and death were defeated. And so now, because of what Christ has done, when we believe in him, when we rest in the faith that we are given, the dirty rags of our sin are taken from us and we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Christ interceding for us. So that when God looks at those who have been covered by the blood of his Son, those who are resting in the faith in Jesus, those who are covered in Christ's righteousness, he does not see our sin, but instead he sees the righteousness of Christ. Because of Jesus, God's wrath will not be poured out on those who trust in Christ's work on the cross. What a promise. 
What a hope. And what blows my mind all the more about this is that Jesus did not have this circumstance pushed upon him. Abigail did not choose Nabal. But Christ chose us. He chose to love the fool, the one who he would pay such a high price to intercede for. He knew what it would cost him. But he did it anyway. He loved us anyway. The one who loves you enough to die for you, to pay the price for your sin for you, will never leave you or forsake you. He did not intercede for us out of obligation, but out of love. Christ chose to show his love for you in this way. Hallelujah. What a Savior. I don't know the hard circumstance that you have found or will find yourself in. What I do know is that God has not abandoned you to them. The same God who suffered and died on a cursed tree so that he might have a relationship with you suffers through your hardships with you even now. And as much as we want to be Abigail and and lift our heads and soldier on despite the difficult circumstances around us, let us remember the one in whom we find rest. The one who has not abandoned us. The one who calls us sons and daughters. The one in whom we can find strength for the journey through difficult circumstances. As you face the struggles of life, the hardships of existence, lean on the Lord for your strength in the journey. For there is no one stronger and no one who will love and support you better than he. I love the story of Abigail, this often unsung hero of the Bible. The story of this strong woman who God spoke through to calm the wrathful heart of the coming king. And I love how she shows me Christ. And I'm thankful that this fool doesn't end up like her fool did. For when Abigail returned home from her meeting with David, Nabal was partying and drunk off his can, stuffing his face in a room full of guests. She decided to tell him about his close brush with death the next day. So the following morning, she approached her husband and told him about how David had been about to break down his door with 400 fighting men looking for vengeance for his insult. And Nabal promptly had a stroke. The Bible says that his heart failed him and he became like a stone. Ten days later, God struck him dead. And when David heard of the passing of the fool, he sent word to the beautiful and wise woman he had met in the woods, asking for her to be his wife, a request that she accepted. I'm thankful that the similarities of our story and her story end before God strikes us dead. I'm thankful for a God who loves and forgives and is our strength in time of need. And I'm thankful for Jesus, the avenue of forgiveness. I'm thankful that God has heard the words of Jesus and granted his request. What a wonderful, loving, and gracious God we serve. Amen.